Greetings, Earthlings. Welcome to Voices from the Real World. Profile Theater is a theater company located in Portland, Oregon. Profile Theater centers the season around a season-long featured writer. Our best artists help us see. And at Profile, each year, we use a different writer's unique perspective as a lens that helps us see our shared world in new and surprising ways. Community Profile is an affinity space built around the structure of a free writing workshop. Participants in Community Profile meet, write, support, share, and bear witness to other people who may have walked a mile in their shoes. In Community Profile, we feature writers who have won awards and had numerous books published, as well as writers who are making their first foray into expressing themselves on paper. The result is writing that is singularly personal, provocative, powerful, moving, funny, tragic, beautiful, and that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. What this podcast does is give those writers, those creators, a chance to share their life stories and their writing in a public forum so that we can celebrate and appreciate victories that have been won and challenges that have been overcome by people whose lives you may recognize or be experiencing for the very first time. With us today, if you live in Portland, Oregon, um, Today we are talking to one of the genuine stars of the Portland theater scene. Rusty Tennant is a instructor at Reed now, but when I met him, he was a set designer, director, actor, and artistic director of the Fuse Theater Ensemble, which is now, geez, I feel like one of the longest surviving uh, independent theaters in a long time. Yeah. We'll take it. Yeah. I have yeah. No idea. Right. Right. <laughs> Award-winning director. I forgot all about that. You know, if, if you won local awards, he's won a bunch of them, uh, uh, and all this, and he's a poet too. Yeah. How you doing, Rusty? I'm good, man. Great to see you. Good to see you. Was was I pretty? I was pretty accurate on all that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, God of theater. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna edit you in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't put star anywhere near my name. Oh, okay. uh, I, I, well, I think that's fair. Yeah. Actually, in this town, yeah, and I appreciate it. Um, and I guess I also feel like uh, you are a, uh, you know, you're a genuine social justice warrior. And I, I feel like I, you know, and I trust your intelligence and your wisdom. Oh, man. I um, appreciate it. Same back at you. And, you know, and brother, even when you have thought that we disagreed, I did not feel that way. <laughs> not even for a second. You're you know? talking about something. I don't know what. That, <laughs> I'm with something specific there, but I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, so I guess first off, Rusty, uh, it's funny because like I'm, I'm talking, I'm saying all this stuff and I feel like. You know, I know you, and we're friends, and I know a fair, about, a fair bit about you. But as I'm saying it, I'm realizing there's a whole bunch that I don't know about you. Um, so if Rusty could just tell us a little bit about uh, what makes Rusty tick and how oh, you got man. to be who you are. What makes me tick? Um, <laughs> as of late, it's more and more my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're good for that. <laughs> it's rough. Uh, it's a hard, an- uh, hard question to answer right now because... Um, because the ticking stopped for a period of time and, and the ticking is slowly starting to get going again with me, but I, I wouldn't say that, that I'm necessarily back on the horse yet. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, personally, uh, you know, obviously my entire life has been dedicated to the theater. Um, 
Uh, I work in it as much as I possibly can. I'm, I'm not actually uh, a teacher at Reed, just so uh, we're clear about that. I don't want anybody to hear this and think that um, I'm misrepresenting myself. I'm, I, I'm the technical Rusty's director. the dean of Reed. I'm the dean, <laughs> president of Reed College. No, uh, uh, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I, uh, I, I'm the TD there, uh, uh, which is a great opportunity and a, a great thing. Um, so yeah, uh, and we've been we've been in a hybrid method getting back onto campus recently. And so there's the, the normal sort of excitement of starting the school year, but there's also just like this general overall stress that is waking us all up. I get it, I guess every day. Um, um, but yeah, you know, artistically, man, what, what makes me tick anymore? There's a lot of question marks with that. Um, where I sit personally, um, uh, cause it just all feels so, so different now than it used to. Um, sure. And some of that I'm excited about and some of that I really, really anticipate and some of it scares the living hell out of me and, and other parts of it I just am not really comfortable with yet. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Rusty, you know, one of uh, my, and, and it's, it's going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm actually not. One of my proudest moments in my theater career is a time when I said no. And uh, because... Um, Post Five had approached me about doing your zombie play, you know, because I, I I had just done uh, like Wait Until Dark or Doctor Who, yeah, 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 you yeah, know. Yeah. So people were thinking about that light, and I didn't get it, you know, like I like like I didn't understand the play oh, you really. Didn't understand the play, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I was like, nah, I don't think this is right for me. Um, and then they got you, and then when I saw your production, <laughs> I was like, thank God. I turned that down because I did not see that for that play. Like the, the, like the way you visioned it, uh -huh, uh -huh. you know, um, and the way you brought that to life uh, was, it was so exciting. It's such a great piece of theater. And I was, I, and I was literally like, okay, you know what? Sometimes because when, when you're, when you're in this business, you know, you think you should never say no, <laughs> you know? And I was like, it was so smart of me to say no. Isn't that what we're learning though, man? It's about making space, knowing when it's not right, right? Like you don't think you're perfect for everything and recognizing when there, it isn't right for you. And there's probably other people out there that it is right for. Um, I mean, it's amazing that, you know, um, that has kind of become the lesson of the day. And, and this is something that we're talking about that happened probably, what, seven, eight years ago? Oh, wow. A bit ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's a lesson I guess we keep ha keep on having to learn. And I guess part of the reason is because, you know, uh, you and I now have an artistic history. Mm -hmm. You know, because for me, part of seeing that. That piece was was like when we were doing when Baby Wedding was doing Jesus Hop the A Train, mm, mm. you know, you were our total like first person. We were like, can oh, we thanks. get Rusty to do this? You know, um, and of course you did a bang up job on that. Dude, I loved that show and I loved I, I loved working on that was that was a huge labor of love. I love that um, that script. I love Steven's work. I love what you guys did in that show. I loved you in that show. It was kind <laughs> of it was kind of amazing to be like. Yeah, I say this a lot. I said this when Fuse did Cabaret. Um, I said it in view from the bridge as well. And probably actors who get to work with me a number of times are kind of sick and tired of hearing of it. But it isn't always like that. You know what I mean? Right. A lot of times when you, right. you go through an entire process with people and you actually can't wait for it to be over with. And so when you find those like those magic ones that you're like, God, I could just live in this forever. Um, I mean, not that I wanted to be like living in the, the cement dust and all the stuff that right. we create 
created for that show forever, but it's just such a unique experience when when it really does you know work on that level. Yeah, and you know, and because I, I, you know, same thing. I tell people all the time, you know, making art is hard because mm-hmm. you know sometimes you have a difficult process, and you know, at this stage in my life, uh, I just don't hold on to grudges mm-hmm, because. Mm-hmm. Making art is hard, yeah, and yeah. when it happens that you like work well with people and get along with people, that is a plus. That is not necessarily the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. though it's not a guarantee. Know, there's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, though we do kind of have a no asshole policy. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we can curate our, our people in that <laughs> exactly. way, can't we? <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so, Rusty, I was not even familiar. Like, I was totally surprised and appreciative when you signed up for Community Profile. Uh, why did you? What brought you to it? Um, affinity spaces. Um, uh, you know, I don't identify as 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 a gay male anymore. Uh, I, I I identify as queer and non-binary, um, but I have a gay male lived experience, um, and I haven't experienced being HIV positive for over a decade now. So um, those those things, um, I don't have. It's not that I'm not comfortable talking about those things in public spaces, but I often don't feel an agency in talking about those sorts of things in public spaces often, other than being queer. <laughs> Pretty open and talk about that quite a bit, but particularly um, being in a space with other people who had a lived experience with HIV, um, I that's a... That's, you know, as I grow older and as I live with the the disease longer, I it becomes more and more important to me to to understand my elders and to listen to my elders and to learn from my elders. Um, uh, and I think even in today's climate, where elders is starting to shift in definition, it feels like from what I knew it as as a kid. Anyway, um, I'm I'm personally trying to refocus into uh, people who have had to live through experiences that I did not have to and who gave me the privilege to be able to kind of be the person, this this queer, um, to use the word queer, this to be a non-binary person and, and present what people generally see as uh, uh, at least a forward-presenting masculine presence. I, I have a lot of privilege in all of that. And to sit down and visit and listen to the writings of the people who paved the way, um, that part of it was really enticing to me. And then when I walked in the room and saw that it was those people, but it was also this this younger group of people, these, you know, who were also trans and non-binary and um, uh, maybe didn't have a lived HIV experience, but certainly were in the room to understand that experience. Um, It all just kind of opened up and it just seemed like whether I'm not writing a ton right now in my life. I, I I certainly am plural enough that I will move around and, and do other things. But um, it made me feel like I belonged in the room and there was a reason that I should be in that room talking about the things that we were talking about and discussing the writing of the, that these people are putting out. So, right. And we have some soldiers in that group for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no doubt. And they're uh, all super generous spirited people, yeah. you know, much like yourself, I have to say, you know, and I, and I, and I think that's part of the thing that the community appreciates about you is that I think there's a lot of people that feel like rusty tenant has their back, you wow. know. Um, Thank you. And uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I can't have the back of everybody in the Portland theater industry, but I do try to have the back of the people who who have my back and the people who 
care about me, and I th- I hope that's a, a large enough crowd that it feels like I have everybody's back. But right on, I can't right take on. all that on. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, so you brought something to share with us today? Uh, yeah, I've got some of my poetry um, that I've uh, written over the years. I, I tried to go through some things and see if there were things that felt a little bit more timely and poignant, although I don't know that that's really that necessary at this stage of the game. Um, some of these, some of the things I will leave uh, out, out simply because they're dated. Um, poetry Great. can be super dated sometimes, especially if you write personally, as I do. So, um, yeah, I brought some of the things, uh, some pieces of poetry. I can read some. We can talk about them. However Absolutely. You want to it, so. Do you want to provide some context first, or do you just want to talk about it afterwards? Um, well, uh, I'll, uh, I, I, I will, we'll talk about this one afterwards. I don't Dive know. right in, baby. I, I don't think it requires a lot of I'm ready for you. format here. <clears throat> I'm staring at the face of this man, and in the distance is the constant gasp of a ventilation fan. I wonder where I am in the face of this man. Where do I stand in a world created with these hands, and why can't I ever seem to bend to my own demands? The lines in this face do not signify the man that I am. They are simply the footprints left in the sand from where time chose to stand on the face of this man. Does anyone else hear the dying gasp of a ventilation fan? I do. It follows me wherever I am. I've tried to run and hide, but I never can. I run through every state in this land. I've traveled the map on the face of this man, and I hope to meet the demands made by that damn gasping ventilation fan. But as I try desperately to choke the breath out of my life with these bare hands, I manage only to stop and to stare and stand. I hope in the span of my life as a man, I have time to understand how the complexities that Rodin saw in the human hand, those complexities translate to the face of this man. But right now, I can just stare at these lines and the land that they spanned and wonder where I am in the face of this man. Rostophilus the Great! The lines in your face, the footprints of time. Ow! <laughs> that was good stuff. Thanks, man. <laughs> man that was cool. Thanks. I All right. That. Yeah, that was. I, I. I literally have never heard that metaphor before. Oh, well. you know, um, that was. That was. Yeah, oh, that was cool. That you was know, cool. The poetry was a. <clears throat> I mean, I worked at MTV for a number of years, and I, I produced a lot of um, something else. I didn't know. <laughs> That's bragging rights. <laughs> I'll just pick that name up. <laughs> uh, and I, um, I uh, produced uh, a number of segments uh, uh, about hip hop, and I, I became a fan. I, I had always written very, very um, amorphic poetry. No, no, structure was my enemy <laughs> in life in general. Um, uh, and and then I started to listen to hip hop, and I started to um, really identify with the. Uh, 
the the healing power of rhyming that um, hmm. I learned to be a huge part of the African-American culture that is, you know, a little white boy, I did not fully understand and how therapeutic rhyming is to to the mind, at least for me. Um, and I think it is for a lot of people, but they don't just don't know that. Um, and so uh, that's where the, the exercises and I don't I don't get hung up like a lot of people do. Ernie LaJoy, I'm looking at you, by the way, um, uh, about whether or not it's a perfect rhyme. Um, uh, uh, you know, Ernie's a brilliant lyricist, and I think he's a technician, method. too. He's a technician. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, and a little OCD. Um, uh, uh, and I just don't get that hung up on the, the perfection of the rhyme. Um, uh, I love the sounds. I love the shapes of the mouth and the way that they, they kind of make the words uh, uh, happen. And so if it's, if it's in the ballpark, I will let it flow and, and take that next you know word and rhyme that if it's slightly different so so you left mtv because you got sick of making all that money and you wanted to go into theater Dude, there's no money at mtv oh, i don't know who is told that you right that. uh-uh uh-uh Shoot, I, just I got paid t- i got paid more producing ricky lake talk television than i did and ricky lake <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no no there's no money at mtv but it was a really fun job um uh, free i freelanced at mtv so it was never a consistent gig and uh truthfully you know, um, 9-11 happened, I mean, is ultimately why I just left uh, New York. I'd, I'd been touring, too. I'd spent a couple years on the road with some shows uh, uh, touring and... And I was so I was doing that thing that a lot of actors do where I was paying rent in New York, but I wasn't living in New York. And so I came back um, from touring, did, pulled a couple of gigs, more television gigs. And then... Um, Basically, I was I was on my way out the door anyway, and then I lost a buddy in uh, the flight that went down in Pennsylvania. Um, oh no! Yeah, Mark Bingham, um, which many of you have heard because there are four famous people from that flight, um, uh, and one of them was a gay rugby player named Mark Bingham, and Mark was a good friend. And uh, as my brother, my brother called me at that time, and he said, uh, "Buddy, when you're when your backyard turns into the front line, get the hell out." So. I was like, well, huh. I've been wanting to leave New York anyway at that stage of the game. And so it seemed like a good time to go get a master's degree. And that's why I went down to um, New Orleans and got my master's at University of New Orleans. So, but let's take a break right here. This is Voices from the Real World featuring Rusty Tennant. I'm Treasure Lunan. You'll recognize my voice from Profile's first two audio plays, Mlamus Tale and Hot and Throbbing. I was delighted to get to work on not one, but two plays with Profile this year. Please, consider Profile Theater as you make your year-end giving plans. A gift of any size makes a huge difference in presenting stories that reflect all sides of humanity. Profile is a small but mighty organization that prioritizes paying artists. This fall alone, they paid $100,000 to more than 50 freelance artists like myself. In 2020, their plays and outreach programs reached almost 10,000 individuals, and their free community profile writing workshops by and for the LGBTQIA community and by and for Black women create space for over 120 participants to develop their own creative voices and build networks of resilience. Members and donors make this incredible community impact possible. When this pandemic ends, we will need arts organizations like Profile to be here for artists 
and audiences alike. Show up today. Donate at profiletheater.org support. And we're back to Voices from the Real World featuring Rusty Tennant. So how did you wind up here? <laughs> Love. Oh, no. <laughs> I swear to God. Not that old demon. I know, that evil beast. <laughs> no, um... Uh, so after her, I'm one of the very few people on the planet who was lucky enough to be in New York during 9-11 and then in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. Don't get me anywhere. There, that's, that's pretty lucky. Yeah. yeah right? Get out of here. Move. Get out. I, I had to carry that baggage around for a while too, wondering if it was me. Um, uh, but <laughs> the way not. humans do. Uh, uh, what was your question again? Now I got off on that. Dude. <laughs> how did you wind up in Portland? Oh, how did I? Um, so, uh, Hurricane Katrina, I'd got my master's degree finished about two weeks before that. Um, and so uh, I took a job teaching in Dallas for a year. That got cut. Uh, I took a job teaching in Vegas for a year. That got cut. We were in the middle of the recession at that stage of the game. This is around 2007, 2006, 2007. So job after job got cut, and I was in Vegas. And I had started dating Jason, my husband, um, uh, my now husband. I, did, I wasn't dating him as my husband at that time. That doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't even legally possible then. Um, but I started dating Jason uh, while I was working at uh, UNLV. And he... Um, when that job went kaput, I had visited here a few times and I knew I loved it. And I remembered that um, poem. There was a poem when we graduated that uh, uh, that said something to the extent, I'm going to paraphrase this, and I think it might be Vonnegut, but I'm probably wrong. But it says something to the extent of spend some time in New York, but get out before you get too hard. Spend some time in the Northwest, but get out before you get too soft. And at that stage of my life, after having been through 9-11, after having been through Hurricane Katrina, and then two years after that being diagnosed HIV positive, I was like, I need some softness in my life. Something off the edges here, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I came up here, and honestly, I don't have to go any other place. I've, I've lived enough places in my sure. life at this stage of the game that settling down is not just a good idea. It actually feels right. So I feel like I found my home. Um, right. And I don't really, you know, knock on wood... <laughs> I hope I don't have any other place to go. All right, man. Yeah. You got something else for us? Um, I got a lots of things for you, but we, you know, we'll just see how it goes. Um, uh, why don't I do this? It's a short one. Uh, and it's, it's, um, I'll do this in honor of all of my homies down in, uh, New Orleans who are, I don't know when this will air, but it, when you and I are talking right now, they are about to be nailed with two hurricanes, one right after the other in succession. Um, and this is a piece uh, I wrote um, uh, right before Gustav hit. And Gustav is, if my, if my memory serves, Gustav was the first hurricane that we were ordered to evacuate for after Katrina. Um, and I think that's what this centers around. But again, it's pretty short, so... The wind whispers faint remembrances of not long enough ago and carries a stench of another tomorrow filled with double the sorrow and troubled by times that's been borrowed. As if tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow really crept in its petty pace towards another tomorrow. As if the government really pays the debts that we are owed as if Mother Earth cares to reap what she sows. So today is contraflow. Tomorrow the winds blow. And tomorrow's tomorrow 
Well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, uh, that one takes on extra resonance because we do, could not have a worse administration for disaster to happen. Oh, um, yeah. And I did not know that about these two hurricanes oh, you that, that are on, they're on their way. Oh, yeah, two hurricanes forming right now in the Gulf. One's going to hit, maybe hitting right now, and the other's going to hit within less than 48 hours, probably less than 24. I don't know the exact. And they're two separate ones? Two separate hurricanes. Isn't that freaking crazy? Uh, yeah, this, I mean... This is global warming. This is what we, you know, yeah. I've never heard of anything like this ever happening there. So, I mean, not you know, that I'm and, a, a you know, meteorologist. New but. Orleans is just not going to have a friend um, in the White House. Man. Um, that's that's real trouble. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's you know already a not. state hit hard by uh, COVID. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is, um, it's exceptionally problematic. And, you know, I... I, I it can be deceptive, as those of us who have lived through hurricanes can kind of attest that, you know, those of us who don't, we look at the numbers and we say, oh, it's a category one. It's not that big of a deal. Category two, start to worry about a category three. And I mean, I'm not saying that people in New Orleans don't look at it that way. Obviously, they do. But we all understand that um, a category one can do a heck of a lot of damage. Sure. Um, it's it, especially if they stall out. Um, over top of a city or over and and particularly where these two are hitting, which is in the Delta, the basin there of the the Mississippi. And it is possible that it is going to, uh, uh, you know, create storm surges and flooding that's going to affect a number of, you know, uh, even further up in the Mississippi. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but it's never a good thing. And like you said, it doesn't seem like they have much of a champion in the White House right now. Yeah, so. especially one right after the other two. Uh, you know. God, yeah. So. And what's your next one? Oh, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, um, I'll, I'll, this is another short one. Uh, um, um, my mother, uh, who passed away when I was 20 from breast cancer. Um, Damn, Rusty. Uh, dude, we don't even really want to get into it. Bro. It's, yeah, no, it doesn't. I did not know all this. It's a long story. I wrote a solo show about it. <laughs> <laughs> years ago, years ago. Um, no, yeah, uh, there was some trauma. There was some tragedy growing up and whatnot. Um, uh, uh, it's weird when I when I um, was in high school or ele- well, I mean, I grew up in a small, small town. Forty eight kids uh, in my graduating class. So, and I was uh, it was a sort of town where you could kind of do anything and every every everything. And so, I played three sports a year. I was National Honor Society student council. What town was this? It's called Weberville, Michigan. A little town. And, um, and you know, uh, it all started when I was probably, I don't remember when, um, my, when Becky died. Um, uh, but, but anyway, between the, my eighth grade year, say, and the year after I graduated from, uh, high school, about 10 to 15 kids in my high school, I don't remember the exact number, were all killed in random weird ways. And again, I only graduated with 48 kids. So this was a lot of it was drunk driving and a lot of it was just being, you know, crazy kids in the Midwest. Um, uh, But, yeah, there was some tragedy. Um, It all kind of uh, came to a head with my mom uh, when she passed away from cancer. uh, like I said, I was 20. I talk about it in a solo show that I, I do called The Importance of Being Frank, um, in which I uh, uh, it, it was it was odd. It was interesting. But I was um, 
my mom was a person who introduced me to Shakespeare. She took me to see my first Shakespeare play, A Midsummer Night's Dream, which was being performed on my high school gymnasium floor, which is where our theater, our theater class did their shows. And I fell in love with Puck. Um, Kate Flock played Puck, and Kate was dressed in pantyhose and nylons, head to toe, padded up. And on that gymnasium floor, Puck was just sliding around into everyone, like slid right into the feet of Oberon. It was just, and as a kid, I was just like, oh, well, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life, duh. Um, and so I fell in love with the play. I fell in love with Puck. Uh, and, you know, cut to, um, I'm in college at Michigan State University, and I had been cast as Puck in Midsummer Night's Dream. And... Uh, at that time, when I'm playing Puck, is the time that my mother passed away from uh, uh, breast cancer. Wow. And so, yeah, I, uh, I uh, in the show, I perform Puck's final monologue, uh, which is what I performed uh, in the room with my mother's then-deceased body. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, Mom, huge to me. Huge. I'm, I'm you know little gay person I, I i obviously have a deep connection with my mother so um but she always made sure and i this is this is a metaphor that is never lost on me but that if i passed a penny i were to pick it up if it were heads up if it was not heads up i was to turn it over and leave it to be found heads up for someone else ah which i don't know if anybody else has this like you know uh thing <laughs> patterned into them. Uh, but it's really hard. I can't walk over a penny. It's it's and I will stop traffic to pick up a penny and it's annoying. Um, so that's what this piece here is about. When you look in my face, do you see yourself in a different time and place? Linking memories you can no longer trace or living lives you'd much rather erase. Look under my face and read the date, 1988, 20 years of time to waste. And can you still remember how Frankenberry tastes? <laughs> it's been a long time since those days, and it's been a long walk through the haze to bring me to this time and this place to look you in this face read your date, and take a moment to meditate on a world where people relate rather than instigate hate. I'm just a lucky penny that broke your gate, and my worth is less than the material from which I'm made. But if you look me in the face, I can promise you fonder days and a return to simpler ways. I can. If only for a moment, amaze anyone who breaks his gaze long enough to change his ways. I'm a lucky penny, and despite what they say, I'm worth more and more every day. Right on, man. So I'm happy. Yeah, you, you know what's great about your rhyming, and I'm sure you're, that you got this from hip hop helps, is that uh, your rhymes don't sound forced. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. you never sound like you're working too hard to get there. Oh, you know. Yeah. And uh, I totally, my Walita, uh, my mom, on my my grandmother on my mother's side, uh, totally raised me with a penny thing, and with and with her, it was uh, you know, anytime you had you saw a penny, you had to pick it up. 
because that was a test from God. Like if you were too good for a penny, <laughs> then he wasn't going to give you anything else. Yeah. You know, so we had to pick it up, you know. It's interesting. It, you know, we become such a monetized society too. And, you know, um, I was raised with a lot of poor pride. Um, uh, but in that poor pride, I, uh, I gained a disdain for bragging. Um, and it's hard in today's society with social media being as, you know, omnipresent as it is. I see, I just see a lot of bragging. I see a lot of people who are materially concerned with, you know, um, the, the happenings in their lives and what they own and what they have. And so, um, I always, I, I, the, the, the lucky penny is a, as a metaphor and I, I go back to this all the time. I just am super thankful that I had a mother who instilled that kind of, um, I, I guess it's a humbleness, but it's also just a, a, a humility and a, and a recognition that, uh, at, at all times we are in need or it, we, we are all of us at some time in our lives are in need and we are, none of us is greater than the, the least amongst among us. So. Even people who used to work for MTV, even people, are you sure for MTV? I'm not so sure, bro. <laughs> I only came in, I think it was probably what, 12 years after they stopped playing music. <laughs> Oh really? Yeah. yeah. It was the uh, what was it the the house with all the angry kids? What was that? Oh, uh, real In the real, world. real world. Oh my god, I that's can't hilarious. Look at no, yeah. Uh, I think we have time for one more. Sure. Um, so uh, let me just make sure I don't have something here at the end that I was looking at, but I can definitely. I'm gonna do the doc. Um, I have uh, I have a couple, but I'll, I'm gonna do the doc. Um, I think it's it's more about where we're at right now. Sisyphus had his rock, and now I begin my long walk down this dock. With every step the dock rocks, sending ripples that don't stop until they land on other people's docks. And every step in my socks unlocks another box that Pandora forgot to lock and mocks a past paved by an ox in a china shop. And so I continue my long walk down the dock. The pain of the shock rides those damn ripples to the next dock, and in the distance I hear a faint tick and talk as afternoon shifts to night and climbs the clock. Tick and talk as the sun sets, and the moon tries to pay the debts left by a day filled with regrets. It is in the night that we lay down our bets and walk the dock before us beset with a dream that a nest will be there to rest our bodies that have been dressed in our Sunday best to withstand this test. Or is it all in jest? What if there is no nest? What if the best I can hope for is a door, a way to get back to the shore before this dock is no more? Right on. Yay. Right on. Nice work, Christophilus the Great. I, I, I meant to tell you in that last one, yeah. any poem that you work in, a uh, uh, Scottish tragedy reference <laughs> you <know>? and Frankenberry, <laughs> 
in the same poem. I was like, Frankenberry? I remember Frankenberry. I do remember what, what that tastes like. Tastes like? And oh. Count Chocula, too, and Booberry. I'm Rado. I still tastes love like Rado's. magic unicorns, I think. <laughs> As if that isn't redundant. I'm, I'm like, there is somebody's Scottish tragedy interpretation going on right there. Uh, nice. You nice. know, Frankenberry. Um, Rostophilus the Great, Rusty Tennant, instructor, actor, director, artistic director, uh, all-around theater wizard. Thank you so much for joining us today. Man, my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, well, that was Rusty Tennant, and I am Bobby Bermea, and this is Community Profile, voices from the real, real world. Real people telling their real stories. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Community Profile or Profile Theater, go to profiletheater.org slash community profile. To hear more podcasts, go to profiletheater.org slash on air, where you'll find other episodes of Voices from the Real World. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, I'm taking all comers. Just write me at bobbyb at profiletheater.org. And that is it for this edition of Voices from the Real World. Voices from the Real World was put together by the creative team of Jamie M. Ray, Lion Producer, Robert A. K. Gagne, Sound Engineer, Rodolfo Ortega, Composer, and was recorded at the Willamette Radio Workshop in Portland, Oregon, which exists on the traditional lands of Multnomah, Kaflamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, and Malala bands of the Chinook peoples, the Tualatin band of the Kalapuya peoples, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. We acknowledge and honor the ancestors and survivors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them. And we honor their descendants who live on. And my name is Bobby Bermea. One love and peace out. <laughs>